Welcome to the Skillset Podcast, brought to you by the School of Information Science at the University of South Carolina and Publishers Weekly. I'm David Lankus, Professor and Director of the School. In this episode, a conversation with Angela Craig, Director of the Charleston County Public Library here in South Carolina. And we talk about what it looks like to run a library one week at a time. While she shares a lot of fantastic ideas and experiences, take special note of her talking about the library as a platform. She talks about how the digital and physical have to work together and how the library platform has to serve both the very local and the broad community. Angela Craig, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Good. We how were just you? having a great I'm I'm doing I'm doing well too. I'm I'm ready for the pandemic to be over, but um other than that, yeah. doing well. And um and things are things are going well. But partly I'm really excited um to talk about um what libraries are doing these days. And um part of this is is what I'm calling the new normal. That is, you know, what do we want to be normal when this is all done? Because I think this is a real interesting opportunity for resetting and things that we said were normal in the past probably should never be normal again. But mm -hmm. can you start with just a, a quick sense of what you, the current status of the Charleston County Public Libraries is? I feel that we have done everything we possibly can do to meet community need and also support our staff. And I'm very proud saying that, um, I don't say it lightly, we, made a decision to close our branches um, to the public um, in March, March 15th, actually. And that was something that I never would have thought we would have done. Um, but then we decided quickly as an executive team that we really needed to be transparent with our staff so that they could understand that we're making decisions, how we're making the decisions, kind of what the plan is moving forward, that actually we're not thinking more than two weeks ahead, honestly, mm. at that point. Um, and I think that really helped build a lot of trust. And so now we're, we're, we're reaping the benefits of that. We're five months later. Um, I think we're a stronger organization for it. Oddly, that's kind of the silver lining is that there is a lot of trust, um, I feel, among CCPL staff and also with the community. They know that we are there for them um, and that we're working very hard um, to meet them wherever, wh whatever platform they need. We're trying really hard to meet them on that platform. How are you getting, how are you, during that, that time, how have you been connecting to the community, right? I mean, it's, we know we're always supposed to reach beyond our walls, but a lot of it is who walks in and what we're talking with and having those conversations and even the informal getting together. How are you still connecting to the community to sort of get where they are when the physical facilities are closed? Well, we um, actually have opened up our facilities now. We are in um, the opening phase where um, most of our libraries are open. We have three regional libraries that are offline for renovations, and that was always part of our plan uh, because Charleston County is in a renovation build cycle, which is, you know, going forward, COVID or not. Um, but uh, to backtrack a little bit um, in March, and I'd like to preface that I am a first-time library director, and um, I 
remember distinctly thinking when I took the job, there is nothing that could be thrown at me that I won't know what to do. And I kind of regret it <laughs> thinking that. And I was thinking like hurricanes, you know, because I didn't have a lot of those in Charlotte um, where I had uh, my professional career before. Um, there, I was just kind of going through a list of like, I, I know I can handle this, 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 and this. I, pandemic was not on my radar. And then suddenly we're boom in a pandemic. Um, and so we knew we needed to pivot very quickly um, to meet the community need because we knew that they would need us. And I think all of us struggled with, we had to close our doors. Even if our doors were open, we couldn't serve the public the way we did. So what does it look like? We were one of the early uh, counties to close. I think we were one of the first counties to close to the public. It was not a decision we made lightly, but it was um, the right one. Um, but we moved to a digital platform within three days. It was incredible. We did essentially probably a year's worth of work in three days. Um, the reason why we were able to do that is that we had always wanted to have a more robust digital platform, digital presence, utilize social media, you know, kind of build on that. So we had done some um, groundwork in other areas, but we just knew that we needed to expedite it. So we did. Um, the best thing I can do is get out of the way of my talented people as, you know, they execute their plan. Um, and so we knew that um, our digital reach would reach many of our patrons, um, but we also aware of um, the digital inequity of Charleston County. Um, we're an interesting county in the fact that, you know, we are urban, suburban, and rural, and the rural areas are very, very rural, as I'm sure you know. Uh, so we wanted to make sure that uh, with this robust digital platform that we were able to connect with our public um, in any way possible. So we left the Wi-Fi on our buildings. We made that clear that, you know, if you have a device, you can roll up into our parking lot and you can um, use our Wi-Fi. You don't need to have a library card. We welcome you. You know, please come use it. So that was one way. Um, another way was we knew that a lot of people like to call us. And so um, we deployed um, low cost flip phones. I think we bought like 20 of those um, from our Verizon provider and uh, maybe 25. And we distributed those um, to our reference librarian staff and they were on call. And so we had a number that people could call. Um, and I think we put that in local newspapers. We put it on radio stations. We put it on our website, um, word of mouth that, you know, if you don't have you know virtual digital access, if you aren't able to use a computer, if you can't get to um, one of our libraries, you know, call these numbers. We have staff members that can help you and so we were working really hard that was when we were all on lockdown um, when no one was really in the buildings except for the essential um, HR staff and um, you know payroll staff that like they had to be at main library but I, I was at home everyone was at home and so we just kept um, building on how do we keep reaching to our audience um, how can we continue to reach to our patrons? We know we're serving the digital group really well, but those people who don't have access, what can we do? And so we had several action steps for that. And then that helped us when we reopened, we did a lot of assessment um, of kind of where those gaps were. And so that kind of helped with our digital equity strategy that we're in the middle of working on right now. And I, we've talked before, I, I'm really impressed when you talk about the digital equity strategy, the, the notion is, realizing that you don't have people that that are online you have a lot of people who can't get that connection and is that true in both sort of the rural and suburban and urban area or is that a primary um primarily an issue in rural uh, parts of the county 
it actually traverses all over Charleston County. It's very interesting. Um, we originally worked with census data from 2019, which of course is dated. Um, so we're looking forward to the census, which hopefully will come through for us <laughs> to give us a better picture. But um, clearly um, in the two rural districts, um, which are, if, if you look at our political map, it's District 2 and District 8. Um, District 2 is um, like the Alwyndah area out to McClellanville. District 8 is Hollywood, St. Paul, Adams Run over to Edisto. Um, the good news for us is that we have libraries on either side of those rural areas. So for the Alwyndah area, we have Wando Mount Pleasant Library. I'm sorry, uh, yeah, the Wando um, Library. And at the end of that, we have um, McClellanville, which is great. So we can um, sort of capture that group there. And then with District 8, we have our new Hollywood St. Paul Library and Edisto. But we knew anecdotally, um, and I think I talked about this, anecdotally we knew that those areas were not being served as well as we wanted to, and that, you know, we were redirecting people to our buildings when they were open. But when they were closed, and people needed to be able to work from home and do school from home and just have access from home, uh, we saw very, very starkly where the need was. So the rural areas presented themselves, but then also uh, we could see user patterns in how our Wi-Fi was used um, in the more densely populated urban areas. And again, anecdotally, we knew that North Charleston had some uh, challenges. Uh, people have devices, but they don't have access to the Wi-Fi. Um, mm. In rural areas, we found that um, people actually don't have either. They don't have devices or access to the Wi-Fi. So we were able to do our own assessment of how our patrons were using our Wi-Fi, asking for services, and just where we were able to extend our reach. And then that helped um, pinpoint with the census data kind of where those high need areas were. And it was very helpful in helping us think through what our next steps need to be. And that turned into loaner programs for both equipment and mm -hmm. also for connectivity. So Wi-Fi, mobile hotspots, and and Chromebooks, laptops? Yes, yes. Um, we have been floating hotspots um, for almost two years. So that's been going very well. So we have that foundation. So we were able to purchase right before shutdown 100 Chromebooks. So we have those, those are circulating. We have um, put them out in the community. They are what we call workforce development kits where they come with a Chromebook and a hotspot so that um, you, know, you, you can use the Chromebook for whatever you want. You can use it to, you know, social media, play on the computer, but it comes equipped with um, resources for, you know, finding jobs, for um, templates, uh, for cover letters, for um, resumes. Um, and those are things that we created in-house with the library. So what we figured out with our virtual platform is that we have a lot of great content that we are developing as a library staff through story time programs, through workforce development um, classes, you know, one-on-one -on -one classes. And we were able to capture that while we were in, you know, our digital mode. But then we realized moving forward, when we can reach our patrons and we want to reach our patrons, we actually can give them packaged programs that they may not be able to come to the library through um, our digital equity strategy. And so that's what we are preloading the devices with. Um, and the patrons can use them or not use them, but they're there. And when they get their orientation, we walk through you know, what the um, amenities are you know, on the computer that they uh, have checked out, and then they can use that if they want to. I think that's fabulous because I've been a big, <clears throat> big proponent and fan of mobile hotspots. And, mm -hmm. and, and I'm really impressed with what you're doing around digital equity, but one of the things I'm always concerned is that when many libraries do this, they hand them a piece of hardware, <clears throat> pardon me, 
they may do some training on the hardware, but then it sort of goes into the ether. And when you talk about a digital equity platform or a platform in general, that notion that that piece of equipment, that that Wi-Fi hotspot literally extends the work of the library, um, that, that it doesn't end when they walk out of the building, that when they turn that on in their living room, their living room is now part of the library getting support. Fantastic. Um, can you tell me a, a little bit, uh, um, so I don't know if it's still true, but it was certainly true several years ago when you, you mentioned the renovation project. Yes. Um, uh -huh. and I'm sure you've been spending just a few minutes on that in your, in your as you became director, but it was the largest public renovation project in the country, library renovation project in the country at one at point. Yes, yes, at that time. Um, it was, it still is five brand new buildings um, renovating our um, regional libraries and then our smaller libraries as well. So we, <clears throat> phase one was the new buildings. We have built four of the five. Um, we're about to um, solidify the plans for the fifth one, which is in North Charleston. That's part of a um, broader platform with North Charleston, which it's, it's going to be um, even larger than what we thought, which is great. We gained some square footage and we also gained some access points too. So it's definitely worth the wait. Um, but phase two is the renovation um, phase and that's where we are. And so three of our regional libraries are going offline um, for a renovation. And the wonderful thing about the renovation is that we have been able to see what's working really well in the new builds and what we want to transition into our renovated spaces. Um, the renos are interesting because when Charleston County built the regional libraries um, 20 years ago, I want to say, they basically took one footprint. <laughs> and so when you walk into but we, we have five regional libraries. Um, if you walk into four of the regional libraries, they are exactly the same. The desk, huge desk placement is the same. You know, the workroom, the auditorium, every, everything is exactly, exactly the same. Um, and it didn't age as well as I think that they would have wanted it mm. to. You know? um, it's 14,000 square feet. And so we have to be realistic about what we can translate over from, you know, a 40,000 square foot building like Wando, but there's some great things um, such as, you know, open floor, flexible uh, seating, you know, shelving with wheels and things so that we can push things aside and have, you know, um, programs on the floor or just more space, um, enclosed spaces for children's and teens, because, you know, when libraries were built 20 years ago, there just wasn't as strong as a youth presence as there is now. Um, and, you know, now that's just part of the fabric of what we do and um, it's a little noisy <laughs> in a 14,000 square foot <laughs> building. So that's why we have um, enclosed spaces for children's and teens so that they could have their space and the adults can have, you know, their space and, um, you know, we're able to share the building and um, still use it the way that they want to use it, which is wonderful. So we were able to learn um, from the new builds and translate um, some of the things that work in, you know, 14,000 square feet. And I think it's just going to be um, a wonderful continuation of those new buildings into um, our renovated spaces. So when you're doing these kind of renovation projects, and I know that you came on board in the, not in the middle, but but not at the very beginning. Yeah. Um, it sounds like this is a, an opportunity for conversation. Um, you you mentioned, for example, the, the idea of a duplicative floor print. I was talking with a library director many years ago in Dallas, and Dallas did the same thing, which is they built new library uh, branches that looked like every other library branch. And mm -hmm. so when this director came in and walked into these buildings and said, all right, this is a an artistic community, where's our, our gallery space? Or walked in and said, this, this community has a lot of musical, where, et cetera. Um, and, and really began to see how they could make those 
it changed the philosophy from making the branch look like a library instead of making the branch look like the community. Right. I'm wondering how much opportunity have you had in that process um, to, to sort of think along those lines? Uh, they actually, um, you know, my predecessor, Nicole, um, was very good about listening to the community and, you know, before her, Doug, um, also, I think that we all learned our lesson about having four buildings and ultimately five that basically look the same. So that was not the approach they took with the new buildings. And so I'm very pleased to say um, that the five buildings all respond to the community and are totally different. Um, I think they even have different architects, which was by design and that's wonderful. Um, with the renovations, <clears throat> what we did was we sat down with the library staff and you know um, different elements of the community and talked through, you know, well, what is it that we want to retain in this space? And so for Mount Pleasant, um, they're a group of super readers. And so they don't wanna lose a lot of shelf space. Like they understand that um, we need to reduce some of the collection so that we can make space um, for more programs, but because they are super readers, they wanna have um, as much shelf space as possible, you know, for you know, all, all the new releases and things because they are a group that just loves reading physical books. Um, at Dorchester, which is over in North Charleston and Otranto. Otranto is one of the ones that's actually going offline. Um, they developed a robust workforce development area for people to come in. And you know, this, this evolved over many, many years of, again, the library staff listening to the community, seeing that they were the spot that people came to to look for jobs, get coaching on jobs, um, formatting their resume, make, creating resumes, practicing for interviews. So they actually have a very strong workforce development program there. So now their renovation is going to actually build that into their floor space. Well, there'll be you know, more opportunities for computers, um, we are, you know, thinking through and we uh, can't land it on, you know, we need to have spaces um, where people can have practice interviews and, um, you know, just kind of have that privacy. If, if they are doing an in-person interview or a, now a tele-interview, where can they go, where they can shut the door and have that. So we built in workforce development with that library and that was not part of the original design at all. So um, I'm really proud of how the renovations have evolved. We still have to work with the 14,000 square feet, but um, the libraries have really seasoned with the communities. And so they know what it is um, that their patrons need and want. And I think that they're going to age really well um, as we you know, move forward. How, so just to poke at that a bit, when you say they know what their community wants, mm -hmm. how do they know? <laughs> Great they question. Know? Great question. It's definitely trial and error. So, um, you know, Mount Pleasant Regional Library um, isn't a heavy programming branch, and it's not for lack of trying. You know, they have um, a programming budget just like any of our other libraries. And, you know, they've tried to have... Um, you know, authors come speak or um, things like that. And um, it's not that people don't really want to attend the programs per se, it's that, that they would just rather have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with library staff and show them where, you know, the latest book is or, you know, talk through their favorite author. Um, so they've tried different approaches. Um, and they, of course, have children's programming, like that's in my mind separate than other programming but um they are as i said a group of super readers they have some of the highest circulation in you know our library so you can see like that 
um, quantifiable data, you know, with circulation stats, but then you had the anecdotal data and even quantifiable of, you know, lower program attendance, but high checkout rate and high engagement one-on-one -on -one with staff. So that told us that, you know, we needed to retain as much shelving space as possible there because they wanted to have as many books at their disposal as possible. And that was something that we wanted to honor. Um, again, going back to Otranto, the workforce development evolved because it was the community coming in asking specifically for help on resumes, um, how to upload it um, to the computer. Some people didn't even have an email address, so they had to start from the basics. Now, we of course have those classes at Main Library and other places, um, but if you're in North Charleston, it could be hard to get um, to more places like you know main library um charleston county is not the most accessible um when it comes to transportation if you have a car you're fine um but a lot of the libraries are very far apart from each other and if you live in a neighborhood close to you know tronto of course you want to go there instead of having to drive all the way down to you know downtown charleston so that definitely emerged um I think it started anecdotally, but then they realized that all their programs were really leaning towards workforce development, um, but not just resume and cover letters. It's that soft skill development too, of you know talking through um, that first impression with um, a job interview. Um, you know how to have a follow up call uh, just to kind of so that your the person you interview with doesn't forget about you. You know write a thank you know things like that. So they were really working on um, soft skills as well as you know the nuts and bolts of. Uh, workforce development. So that came from, you know, the anecdotal part, but then also the hearing the community, seeing what the trends are with our programs, with our collection, and um, building processes and uh, programs around that. We'll return to our interview in just a moment. First, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor for the podcast, the School of Information Science at the University of South Carolina. Interested in librarianship? Then join a nationally ranked program with over a quarter century of experience educating leaders in the field online. From the State Library of Vermont to San Francisco to the Business Library of Oxford University, our graduates lead in schools, cities, and states around the U.S. and beyond. Now, let's get back to our interview. It's interesting. I think we've used the talked about platform a couple of different times and the idea that the library is a, a platform to support the community. And increasingly one where different aspects of the library, whether it's physical space or different services, could be tailored to different parts of the community. So that, so it's a it's not a homogenous, this is the library platform, use it or right. lose it. It really is adaptive to these different settings. Yeah, you've talked it's about that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, and you've talked about it in the sense of the physical space, once again, what's different in different communities, what they need. You we began talking a little bit about uh, the rather amazing story about you know in three days to to truly stand up a digital platform and while it'd been in process clearly it was going to happen rapidly. I'm wondering one of the the discussion points uh, I've seen is that many libraries realize that when the pandemic hit and they closed their physical facilities that while they may have been talking about platforms and digital platforms and physical platforms they were almost two separate things. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like you know, all right, over here is you know we are we're part of the community we're a community center and the minute we had to lock those doors we became we we sort of reverted back to we're a lending library with lots of, of apps and and ebook licensing right How, do you get the sense um, that that in Charleston these are truly two merged platforms or is that something that that needs work um, the idea of the digital and the physical platform. 
Oh, we definitely have merged them. Um, we realized, and I've talked about this um, several times, that we had a wonderful catalog of programs when we really sat down and looked at how are we going to do our digital platform? How are we going to, we don't need to reinvent the wheel, first of all. We know we do programming very well. Um, let's reach out to the library staff who do this, you know, story time, team programs, adults, all of it. Um, what is it that you do? And then we put it together, we realized we have a really impressive catalog of um, unique programs that we created in-house that um, we don't need to go externally at all for. Hmm. Um, and that we're able to link them um, with physical books that you can check out or you can download a book or you know, here is on our workforce development new page that we designed. We have a wonderful workforce development page uh, that we're very proud of uh, that you know after you do the intro to um, job search program, you know, we shift you over to, you know, go to our workforce development page. Here are some wonderful links for people that are hiring. Here's how um, you can, you know, use the knowledge that you just found. So we know um, moving forward that we are definitely, as we're opening up our branches and we're back uh, to having people in the building, which is wonderful, we're still going to utilize our digital platform in the sense that we didn't realize it, but we um, were segmenting ourselves um, to certain libraries where maybe someone um, was really great at Tai Chi. And so we, we do, we do have a staff member who is, I think like a Tai Chi um, instructor. And so she would do Tai Chi classes for her patrons and they were wildly popular. Um, when we put it online and we had her program, like that was one of the most watched programs on our Facebook page. And like now that reached places that like they would have never have known as a library had a Tai Chi expert. So now we've talked about um, what does it look like moving forward? And we do want to have a balance of, yes, when we're able to do in-person programs, we definitely want to have our staff in the buildings who know the patrons there. But then, you know, what if we have like, you know, a screen projecting our Tai Chi expert and we have staff there and we're like, hey, you know, we're gonna have this Tai Chi program. This is led by um, Mrs. Smith, you know, over at Wando Branch, uh, but it is accessible to everyone. And so that way you don't have to travel to Wando. You can, you know, you can do it at your home, you can do it at your favorite branch, you can um, fold it into your local library programs and it just sort of expands on, um, what you're already doing it enhances it so the collaboration has been really high uh, the interest in new things has been you know wonderful there were a lot of staff that didn't know their colleagues were so talented you know <laughs> uh, and so now um what we have for lack of a better word better word this catalog has really helped us um connect staff with subject area experts that maybe they didn't know we had in our own system. So that's been wonderful. So moving forward, um, in-person, digital, it's kind of the same for us. Um, it's whatever platform we think um, the community would respond to best. And I, I trust library staff to um, figure that one out. So interesting. So so let me see if I get, um, something comes to mind. Let me see if this, this plays out, which is, you know, a lot of people look at libraries as mm -hmm. more of a stereotype and generic concept. Um, as content providers, right? It's it's mm -hmm. interesting, you know, I have colleagues in the content creation business and journalism, yeah. et cetera, and they're like, we love libraries because they're in essence a, a vehicle for us to distribute our content and our materials. Yeah. And um, we've learned many over the year that we're not a neutral body in doing that, that, that right? Stick with yeah. me for a moment though. I'm not yeah. going that direction, but what I just heard you say, and I've heard it said otherwise, so it's it's I, I really want to pick up on this, which is when we moved to digital, it wasn't that we 
this was brand new. But when we moved to digital, it became very apparent that in many places, the library is itself a content creator, mm -hmm. whether it's the Tai Chi lessons, whether it's workforce development programming. And um, because I've heard this, for example, in several European libraries, I was talking with Hannah Lohr in the Cologne Library in Germany, and she said, we went online and our librarians suddenly had to create materials, content, mm -hmm. programming from scratch, and they love it so much, I don't think I can ever get them not to do it. And and so I'm, I'm wondering, as you look at this combined digital um, physical platform, the notion of the library staff as content creators, I mean, it, it's, that seems to be an important concept moving forward. Oh, I absolutely agree. I think we always were, um, and I think we are content creators, but also we're content curators. Uh, so for example, with story time, we so, sometimes I do have staff that are writing stories. Sometimes I do have staff that are you know creating their own flannel boards and things like that, or they curate a selection of wonderful picture books. Um, that support whatever theme they are doing. You know, and I can say the same for anything, workforce development. Sometimes it is a completely um, new class that the staff member has created all the content, or they are pulling things from vetted sources that they know align with whatever it is they're trying to teach, and it bolsters the lesson that they are um, creating. And so I really think that it's a good marriage of, yes, we are content creators, but we're also content curators uh, with our vetted resources, because that's just sort of the nature of what we do anyway in person. And so the digital platform allowed us to really see um, shine a spotlight on all the things we were doing right. Um, it was lovely uh, that we were, <laughs> we, we married. And, you know, I, I think we, again, anecdotally knew we had this great content. We anecdotally knew that we had this wonderful staff at different locations that were all doing um, different things wonderfully. And wouldn't it be great if we shared that broadly across CCPL? Well, we'll get to that at some point after the renovations. Well, you know, everything ground to a halt <laughs> COVID. Right. So we had time to think about it. So now, yes, um, we're coming up on our strategic visioning process. Our current one sunsets at the end of this year. And so we're looking at the next three years. And so I am putting together, um, I've invited the staff to help us think through what it's going to look like. And, um, you know, we have five focus areas. And that's one of the things I want us to think about is how do we keep this momentum going? How do we um, mentor each other, learn from each other, continue to move quickly? Because that's one thing we learned that, you know, we can't over-process everything, overthink everything, beta test, beta test, and then never actually execute. Um, we have to get it out there, and it's okay if it's not perfect. Actually, it's usually better than we think anyway. Um, so have faith in yourself. Um, so how can we keep this momentum going when COVID eventually, you know, whatever our next phase looks like, um, I don't want to lose that creativity, that um, almost creative urgency that we have of putting out good content, keeping it moving, not being slowed down by process, solutions oriented let's keep it going and how does that help shape our post-covid library it's, it's and i don't know if this is probably now an old antiquated phrase but the idea of the remix culture where you know it's back to once again not being neutral here but i'm so sorry that was my phone <laughs> i thought i needed yeah. it i'm sorry um but when you talk about we talk we talk about creation uh, curation and the idea but it really it's the notion of you're sort of remixing whether you're taking these books that were never intended to be combined around this idea plus original content on top plus how it gets distributed that that is in fact a creative process 
one of the things I'm, I'm interested in is how do you prepare your staff um, for doing this? And one of the, the questions becomes, all right, if we're working in now this, this, this adaptive responsive platform, that it's both digital, that it's physical, that it's going and truly trying to reach out to all parts of the community, realizing it's got to adapt to local conditions, that it's doing that with a professional staff that sees itself not simply as neutral providers of stuff, but in fact, remix and curators and, and community connectors. What do you see as, as the skills that your staff needs to do that new kind of community engagement and then how do you get them there? So interestingly, the skills were always there. We just had never asked the staff to deploy them. Um, how we decided to approach it is that we wanted all of our programs to have a focus in, at that point, our four focus areas, which uh, workforce development, literacy, educational success, and um, community engagement, I'm looking at them. <laughs> and so um, that helped um, hone in our, pro our programs and our output. And we had been working on that before COVID. We knew that we needed to um, show return on investment with you know our stakeholders the the patrons um, counting things like that and it also just gave us a focus with our programs too um, and our services and so naturally there were staff members that they were really great at literacy and when i say literacy it was you know pre-literacy reading enjoyment adult literacy um you know readers advisory like there's a lot of different ways that we define literacy so that um, workforce development um you know, we have wonderful staff that they just had a natural inclination to that. So the staff started subdividing into those four focus areas. And so that's what I um, think is my biggest learning lesson is just trust the staff to know where they need to go. Um, but, you know, encourage them and say, hey, we know you're really great at um, workforce development, but if you want to try your hand at like a literacy initiative, you know, here, here's what we got on the table. You know, what, what would you like to do? Um, so just sort of encouraging the talent. Um, we were very clear that this is all new frontier for us, that we are trying this, um, it's going to evolve. Um, we kept saying over and over again um, that there is no wrong way to do it <laughs> because we'd never done it before, no one had. So I think that that um, freed up some of the uh, stage fright or just sort of hesitation to you know, get in front of the camera. Um, we learned that live was not a good fit just because, you know, people did get nervous. And so we started recording things and that actually really helped us because then we had, you know, talking about content, we have people developing content right now. They're recording, they're recording in their homes. We could get back in the libraries. We had them record in libraries. So now our marketing department um, has the videos, which is great. And when they come in, um, they're able to, you know, tweak and kind of work on the lighting and things like that. But they have content lined up for every age group. I think we have like months and months and months of content and we still will, um, even when we're doing programs in person. Um, so it really happened organically, just trusting that the staff knew what their strengths were, but then also asking them to try something different. Um, if we needed um, more of uh, an adult literacy presence, or if we needed um, something, you know, with teen workforce development, um, would you mind creating a program mm -hmm. designed around this? Because, you know, we, we see an emerging need in this area, and we would love for you to try, and everyone was up for it, and it was, it was really fun. That's great. Can I step one back? You mentioned the four areas, mm -hmm. community engagement, I'm sorry. It was literacy, community engagement, workforce development, educational success, and our fifth one is now equity. 
And those are in all the things that you do. In essence, those are sort of lenses that when you're doing it, right? So the catalog has a discussion of community engagement. Yes. Um, the, the, I mean, and that's what we're talking about in this series is, is community engagement. And so the notion that, you know, it doesn't matter where you are or what specific functions, community engagement needs to be something you're thinking about in, in your, your work. Yes. Um, so if I could switch topics on you a bit, just because Charleston has, um, has a history and it's not always a happy history, but, um, around the notion of racial equity, which you'd mentioned, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and Charleston has, you know, unfortunately with the Dylan Roof shootings and the Emanuel Nine, um, leading to real conversation in the state of South Carolina initially around race, taking down the Confederate flag from the state capitol. Um, and here we are um, five years later, and um, another uh, another move for racial equity, for conversations around uh, social justice, Black Lives Matter. You and I are having a conversation earlier, which I just found um, amazing and wonderful, which was that it wasn't. So correct me if I'm wrong. While while the Charleston public one of one of unfortunate unfortunately the people who died in that shooting was a librarian, was actually a, an alumna of the program and a working librarian. Um, yeah, and and what I'm interested in is that with this recent and hopefully successful um, discussion and raising of Black Lives Matter, the community actually turned to the library at at one point. Is, am I getting that right? Yes, yes, absolutely, and still um, are turning to us. Um, we, as you articulated, um, unfortunately, five years ago, we lost. Uh, Cynthia Graham Hurd, who was a librarian with us for the cumulatively 30 years, and she also worked at College of Charleston, and she was just beloved. Um, they were all beloved, and the shooting took place not that far down from our main library. Um, our main library is on Calhoun Street, and Mother Emanuel is on Calhoun Street, and so it um, really rocked the county, the library, everyone to the core, you know, the, the world to the core. Um, so we from, and I say we, like, you know, now, now I'm part of we, but at that point, um, CCPL um, did a wonderful thing, and I applaud them. They reached out to the family of Cynthia Graham Hurd and just said, you know, whatever you need, we are here, your family, she's family, your family. And this wonderful relationship evolved between um, the Graham family with her brothers and sisters, um, and they really wanted to celebrate Cynthia's life and focus on how, you know, she was an advocate for diversity and literacy and youth and the community and really reaching out um, to maybe those people that might not think the library has anything for them, but actually has a lot for them. And so she did wonderful work at the Dart Library um, and later at um, the regional library that was named for her, um, the Heard Library. Um, so we have had an established partnership with the Graham family for going on five years now. Um, when the unfortunate death of George Floyd happened, um, you know, there were um, protests and, you know, what people called riots later in Charleston. Um, and I think people were surprised. But then when we really started digging, it really wasn't that surprising because the question was asked, what has honestly changed five years from now? Um, and it's, it's a fair question to ask. And so 
when COVID happened and we had the shutdown, um, you know, we very quickly knew the community need was we need to help people with unemployment. We need to help people that are working from home for the first time, teaching their kids from home for the first time. Um, all these things, you know, doing virtual ebook checkout for the first time and those people that don't have access. So we knew how to respond to that. And then when the racial inequity discussion started um, and people were asking for resources on how to talk to their children about race, and racism, um, how to approach these difficult subjects. And some of them wanted resources for themselves, for implicit bias, um, and just to really be proactive in finding a solution. So we pivoted just like we did with um, COVID, where we knew our community needed us to step up. We also knew that we needed to make a statement um, that we were an anti-racist and are anti-racist organization. And we felt very strong that we need to say that because we felt if we didn't say something, people would fill the silence with um, that we were supporting, uh, <laughs> you know, so that we didn't stand for. Um, you know, we have African-American staff, we have African-American authors, um, collection programs, we have um, African-American communities that we care very much about. And so we just came out in support and said, we are an anti-racist organization. Uh, Black Lives Matter is an ethical stance for us because we serve these communities and have and will. And um, this is this is how we're moving forward. We are a resource um, for those that want to engage. Just because we're coming out for this community, for our black community, doesn't mean that we're not serving other communities. We still are doing all the things we've always done for every community. We just are stepping up for our black communities right now because they need us. The, the most right now. They have the most urgent need. And so that was something that we felt um, that we needed to say and do. And it's been um, well received by the community. Um, we have had book clubs with um, the Cynthia Graham Herod Foundation, which have been very successful. We have an upcoming um, book club, um, one for teens, one for adults um, in September, where we talk about um, racism and we're reading um, for the teens, a title for teens, and forgive me, I can't remember the title, um, and a title for adults as well. And we're gonna keep having these opportunities um, to have people come together, but then um, we do want to continue to just be a resource of vetted information where you know if people want to engage uh, with community groups or find you know out more information about you know here are vetted resources that we have um, that you are welcome to engage with or not, but they are here for you and we are very open um, to having those available uh, for you to use. And has the community been supportive of that? And the reason I ask is, unfortunately, we've run into some communities that have not been so supportive of being out front on this discussion. We have been very pleased with um, the community response. We have had nothing but positive response um, from our from our county council, from our board, from our patrons. Um, there might be some people that, you know, probably think that we're diving into politics. And again, we say that, you know, when we say Black Lives Matter, this is an ethical stance for us. We, you, you can take it any way that you want. We can't control how you filter things, but like for us as a library, Black lives have always mattered. So this is something that um, we want to you know, put out there to the community and um, it's been well received. Um, it was something that community asked for. So I think that that's why it's gone over so well that they know that we have, and we've always had these books in our collection, right? Uh, but we started curating lists, um, you know, of, uh, you know, white fragility, um, how to be anti-racist, like all these um, titles that we've had um, that we realized we need to buy more of because people were wanting to check them out. 
and from our virtual, I mean, ebook, but also um, our in-person ones, um, you know, children's books. Again, we've always had these, but um, I think something that we know that we need, we now see that it can't be regulated to Black History Month or things. You know, libraries, mm -hmm. and we're guilty of it. We have themes. We have themed months. You know, um, and it's something that we have fallen into. It's a pattern. Um, and then we realize that when we're talking about equity, that traverses year-round. It's not just, you know, Women's History Month or, um, you know, Jewish American History Month, you know, or, you know, African American History Month. Like, it can't be just a monthly thing. It, we need to really weave that in to uh, the fabric of our organization. And, you know, it's always been there. We still have books no matter what month it is. We can do programs no matter what month it is or, you know, highlight um, authors and resources. Um, and we will still have, you know, themed months. I think that's important too, but just be a little more thoughtful and cognizant that um, we don't want to fall into the, the monthly theme rut. We really want to be um, aware that this is, you know, a topic um, equity that needs to go through, you know, annually and weaves into all of our focus areas. Hmm. Um, that's, it, it's great and it's it's wonderful to see um, the different services that are stepping up and, and, and really, as you say, beginning to, to bring it up. And what I love, the other part of this that, that I'm hearing is, for example, you don't have the black branch that right. um, you know, if you combine this discussion with the previous one, while you may have a branch that's serving primarily an African-American population or another one, a, a Latinx community, et cetera, what I heard you saying, particularly through the staff, is once those areas of expertise and programming stuff may emerge in those, that those then get pulled back and distributed yeah. through the rest of the system. So while the system is, yes, uh, the platform is contextualizing to these given communities so they serve them and they connect with them, the job is also then to feed back to the larger system so that that expertise and information and approach and advocacy goes across yes. the system. Yes, absolutely. Well, um, I have to say, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Charleston County Public Library. I really think it is the up and coming uh, public library and we, we, we really look for as many ways to partner as possible. Uh, is there anything else you want to sort of say before we, we we fend off about the importance of community um, in uh, the work you do? Oh yeah, community is what drives us. Um, I talk about, I had a philosophical moment um, at staff day uh, last year when we could meet in person <laughs> and we had you know over 300 people, um, which is huge. And I think what Charleston, um, we're having some growing pains. We're a big library system now. Um, you know, we, uh, the, the county's grown population-wise, um, impact-wise, we're a big library system now, and it's happened very quickly. But something that I want um, my team to know, and I say over and over again, all these buildings are wonderful. I'm so happy we have them. I'm so happy that we have these new beautiful buildings. But really, it's nothing without the human engine of the people in them, you, the staff, and the patrons that come in. And that doesn't change even when we can't go into our buildings. We can build the most wonderful digital platform that has every bell and whistle amenity, but if people aren't using it, if the human engine isn't powering it, then it's nothing. It's just, it's just a platform. It's just a building. It's the people, no matter what the platform is, the human engine needs to power it. And when the human engine isn't there, then you need to figure out how can I get my engine back on track? Uh, so with community engagement, that is what it is. Um, I highly encourage all 
uh, folks that are looking to engage with the library, particularly public library, you know, is, um, want to work for them or you know, lead them or whatever role you want to realize that um, community is the whole point of what we do. Um, don't be don't be tripped up by the fact that you know we've had to close down. We were closed for five months. Uh, that was something I never thought I would do as a library director. I did things I never thought, I'd, but um, that didn't slow us down. We still engaged with the community. And the interesting thing is that focus area evolved. Um, the the definition evolved. Originally, it was um, you know of course our outreach, but you know utilizing volunteers and you know partnerships. But then we realized that community engagement has a virtual platform, a very important virtual platform that we had never considered before. That became um, one of our biggest connectors during a time when our doors were shut. So community engagement um, evolved and evolved really effectively um, and our human engine evolved with it. So that was something, um, a takeaway. So I just, you know, as I don't, don't get tripped up by um, not being able to do in person or not being able to do the traditional stuff. The traditional stuff um, will always be available. Uh, be open to the new things that come along. And then soon enough, those will be your traditions. and. It, it'll it'll marry itself to what the library was and it becomes your your new library very quickly thank you very much that's that's fabulous and i wish you luck and offer whatever support we can get in the process of doing it so have thank a you. great day can, can i can i brag about usc just for one minute well sure okay. well <laughs> I, I am a usc graduate um and i want to say that um, i did my education distance education i um paid out of state for it proudly i wanted to because they you guys were you were the program that i wanted i was at charlotte mecklenburg library um so i got my i graduated in december 2009 so i did my whole thing um online fast forward now david here are my children doing virtual learning and you know I was talking to them and I told them that, hey, you know what? Mama has been a virtual student before too, but Mama was in her late 20s when this happened, um, working on a grad degree. You are in first grade and fourth grade doing this and you're doing it wonderfully. But I have to say, USC <laughs> set me up for success um, for the virtual platform with my children that I never thought I would have to do. Um, but that was just, I was having flashbacks of Blackboard and things like that. Um, but it just, it really um, was a great experience going to USC and um, it's coming into play now. And um, I'm really proud to be an alumni. I'm really proud of what my um, university is doing that, um, you know, that they are reaching out and trying to um, adapt and prepare the students. Um, it's so funny, I was talking to someone that there's there's not a consultant in the world right now that can tell us what to do. You know, mm. we have to figure it out because, and it's no knock to, I've worked with some wonderful consultants, I have high respect for them, but right now, I don't think anyone really knows what the playbook is, and that's okay. So the fact that you are helping your students pivot is phenomenal. It will prepare them for those things that um, are going to inevitably come later that none of us could have seen. So, well done. Thank you. And thank you for, for giving back to that community as well. So, Anytime. all right.